0: This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, so I've been reading this book. Uh, it's called uh, "God Sex in Your Marriage." Um, and we went to this seminar conference back in October uh, on, on really intimacy. Um, and so we're going to, in the spring at some point, uh, when we wrap up the Johns here, uh, we'll kind of have a series on God's design for, for sexuality. Um, and, and one of the things that, that Dr. Julie, sometimes I just call her Jules, um, w- one of the things that she says in her book, and I think this is absolutely true, is that the problem with, with sexuality in our culture today is that we have far too low a view of, of sexuality. Uh, is, is that we, we don't have a big enough view of God's, picture for it, right? That God has a greater picture and, and desire and, and pleasure in it than, than we give him half a credit for. Uh, and so so then we we just start settling for these fleeting pleasures because, because we have a really low view of what all God intends through human sexuality. Um, and, and I think that's true, and I've been thinking this lately a lot, just of our view of God. You know, that I, I think most Christians and most churches just kind of hit this point of being good church folk. I've stopped doing these bad things. I'm mostly doing these good things. The, the bad that I struggle with is, you know, you, know, B, you know, class B misdemeanor type sin type thing. And, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. Um, and, and, yet, and yet God's design is one of, of just this intimate, I mean, just, this, this infinite increase of fellowship with him. Right, and we just have such a—we have too small a view of what the fullness of life is, what abundant life is in His presence. Um, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote um, that I think the, are, the slides are still showing. Right? Okay, I think I think this quote. Oh nope, maybe not. Here's what the quote says: uh, Lewis writes, "It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak." We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that's spot on. Outside of the church and inside the church is that we I think part of the reason that our time alone with God, our times here are just meh, is that our expectations of encountering God are, are, are far too low. Paul, he says in chapter one is fellowship with God. The instructions that he gives us, the encouragements to love one another, right? To not love the world, to walk in the light. All of those things are not the end, right? John's goal, the Bible's goal, is not for you to be good church folk. The aim is not for you to to change your behavior, for you to to stop these sins over here or to cut that out or to be a better person. That's not John's aim. That's not the Bible's aim. That's not God's aim. The aim is not for you to be a regular attender and server at your church, to to know your Bible, right? To be able to quote it, right? To to tithe and to give. That's not the aim that John is pursuing. But if that's what we think the aim is, then that's what we'll hit and we're gonna be far disappointed, if we set the bar low, well, that's what we're, we're going to reach to. But, but God's bar for us is an infinite increase of abundant joy in his presence. And so we should come into this setting, we should come to our Bible and think, oh my gosh, God wants abundant life for me. I, I should expect that. And, and I should reach for that in his presence. But, but I think we're setting the bar to... Low, and so if we set the bar low, that man fellowship with God is is, is just it's just so so. Then then when it comes down to the the instruction that John gives us, when it gets challenging, man, it's we're just we're just gonna kind of phone it in because because the bar's too low. And so I've just been praying that God will open our eyes to to just imagine and dream even of. of all that could be in his presence. Of, of all that could be in fellowship with him. I've been thinking more and more about us as a church, and I'm like, God, how do we not just be good church people? But, but how, do, how, how do each one of us, how, how do you look back at the end of, let's say, 2023, and go, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't even know I, did, I didn't even, I, I literally couldn't imagine how, how, how incredible fellowship with God is. Th- that's the goal as we move forward. The goal is not, let's get more people in here, or let's not have more community groups or discipleship groups or whatever. The goal is that we're literally blown away by, by the abundance of being in his presence, the, the, the fullness of being in his presence. Th- that, that's the goal. Are, are y'all with me? Are you, are you, are you hearing me? Because that's that's what we're gonna continue to push for. If your goal is just good church attendance to feel better about yourself, I, I pray that you feel uncomfortable here. Because that is a... It's, it's just gonna be far disappointing to you and to the glory of God. That's John's goal. And if we're gonna continue to continue to move up into the right, right? Moving towards the fullness of life. We're never gonna fully hit that. In this life and in the next, we will never hit the ceiling. It will always be more, right? So if we're gonna continue to move that way, then we have to increasingly stay on course. Right? That's, that's why John is like, walk in the light, not in the darkness. Love one another, don't love the world. Right? These are things that keep us on course to, to grow in his intimacy and fellowship with God. And so today, John's going to warn us that if we're going to stay on the course, if we're going to continue to move towards God, then we have to keep our eyes on truth and not be deceived and distracted by the numerous false messages that are around us today. If we're gonna stay the course, we have to be able to keep our eyes on what is true and not get distracted and led astray by by the false messages, by the counterfeit gospels, the counterfeit Christs that are proclaiming a message of hope and good news. We have to be able to know what truth is, to remain in that truth, and to keep our eyes on it so that we can stay the course and continue to move forward in him. The, The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil hopes that you will never be on a choice, that you will never know God, that you will never follow him, right? But if you have trusted in Jesus, then he still wants to destroy your life. This is straight from the scripture. He wants to rob of the fullness of joy in your life because it robs from you and it robs from the glory you give to God. And that's ultimately his aim, right? He wants to rob from the glory of God. And if you're glorifying God, well, then he's losing. And so that's his aim, right? Is to steal, kill, and destroy, and one of the ways he's going to do that is to send false messages into our lives. False teachers, false leaders, men, women, friends, that will will say, hey, this is true, but it's actually a a slight variation. Hey, trust in this and believe in this, and so we've gotta learn how to discern, okay, what is true? This person is preaching that. Is that something that is going to move me towards Jesus, or is that going to take me off course? So the enemy will send many antichrists, opposers of Christ, opposite of Christ, whose aim is to deceive you and me from following the truth and to get us off course. Our destruction is never gonna be this overnight thing. It's a gradual step by step by step by step, and then, right? That's the goal. And so we've gotta keep our eyes on what is true. So how do we do that? Right. That's that's the goal of of John today in First John chapter two is is keeping our eyes on what is true, not being deceived by the many out there who have a false message. So how how do we do that? I have a twenty dollar bill here. Thank you. Um, I don't have any. I don't, like I never have cash on me. So I was like, oh, I gotta run to the bank. I was like, anybody have cash? And everybody's like, no, 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 no. And then finally, mom over here is like, I got you. Moms, right? They always got us. I, I think it was Claire's mom was like, we need batteries. And she was like, i have batteries. Pulls them out of her purse for our, my microphone. I'm like, of course, right? So how do we know this is real? There's um, estimated, I looked it up on the, on the Google, and Google's always right, um, 70 million counterfeit bills in circulation today. How do we know this is not one of them? Like, this is a legit bill. If you go to the um, Department of Treasury, they give you this, you can find this PDF that tells you all the different steps of how they verify it's a bill. So step one, they're like, look for the the strip that's inside there. So you hold it up to the light. Okay, I see a strip. So we got this little strip running along here that's inside the bill. They say look for a watermark in the bottom corner. Yep, there's a face right here. And they say look for number three, um, color-shifting numbers, that gold. Like apparently if you... If you move it, like it shifts colors, yes, I see kind of a reddish, greenish. Right, so they have all these steps for knowing if this is a valid bill, but ultimately, what is it comparing to? Like, where is it, where did these steps come from? They they come from the, the original source, right? These are all steps to verify something's true based on what is a true U.S. bill right? They start with the true source, and then they say, hey, if you want to know if something's counterfeit, don't look at all the different options of counterfeiting. Just compare it to the true source. Okay, here's this message. Is it, does it have the bill? Yep. Checks out, checks out, checks out, checks out. It's true. It, it matches up with the original true source. That's how they train employees with the government to determine if something's false or not. Or they give you that little pen that you just mark on it and it tells you, right? But, but if you don't have that pen, here's all the steps. You compare it to the true source and, and they say, like, you've got to focus on what is real. It's from what is real that you're able to determine what is not real, right? It's, it's knowing the true source that you're able to then filter everything over it and go, oh, nope, two of the three are there, but that one's not there. It's not, it's not real. It's not true. And that's the same thing that John tells us for us to do And staying the course and fixing our eyes on what is true and not being deceived by the many false messages that are around us today. We've got to know what is true and we've got to measure everything else off of the source. It's not everything else that tells us what the source is, it's the source that tells us what everything else is. Huge difference. We are not reading into the Bible and saying, here's what my culture and experiences and feelings tell me the Bible means. The Bible's reading into us and telling us, no, no, here's what your feelings mean. Here's what your experiences mean. Big difference in how we approach the Bible. One is called eisegesis, reading into the text. One is called exegesis, taking out of the text, letting the text tell us what is true. It's a massive difference, and so, John tells us we've got to look into the source and let the source tell us what is true or what is not true. We've got to know and abide in the truth. And so let's read in second, or First John uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 18. John says, "'Children, it is the last hour, "'and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, "'so now many Antichrists have come. "'Therefore, we know that it is the last hour.'" They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him so let's 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 take this apart a little bit john comes out and he tells us hey these are the last hours we are living in he's telling this church a couple thousand years ago this is the last hour and we know this because the antichrist is coming and even before that one comes, many antichrists have already come, right? So we, we read this, and, and if you've been in church for any length of time, right, there's some trigger words here, right? Last hour, antichrist, right? Like we're thinking left behind series. Anybody read those, right? Like pl- rapture, planes are going to drop because the pilot was raptured. And like, we're thinking tribulation and all the question marks that come with that, Right? And we're like, oh my gosh, what, am I ready? People be ready, right? I'm gonna be walking down the street, one's still here and one's gone. Like, what happened? Like, we're thinking about all these different things and, and that's, that's fine. But, but John has a broader approach, right? The, the Bible in the New Testament teaches us that the, the last hours and the last times is that time period between Jesus' ascension and his return, right? So, so Jesus was crucified, He rose from the dead, and then Acts tells us that he spent about 40 days speaking to the disciples, teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God, and then Jesus ascended to heaven, right? The reason that we believe God speaks to us today, the reason we think this is relevant today to us for our life in Austin is because Jesus is still alive, right? God is still alive. He's still active in our lives, Right, so Jesus ascends to heaven. Philippians says he's seated at the right hand of God. So that's point one. And the Bible also tells us there's another point in time when Jesus will return back to earth. Right, now we can get into all the different questions of like, okay, is he returning like on a horse with a real sword or is there a figurative sword, right? Is he coming before the tribulation? or after? We can get all those different things. The point is you got his ascension to heaven and his return. And when he returns, he's going to judge and overcome Satan once and for all and set up the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. The time period between his ascension and his return is known as the last days, the last hours, right? The apostles, the the ones who were still alive after Jesus ascended, were were waiting any moment for his return. They, They literally thought Jesus could return at any moment. Thus, it's the last hours, because it may not even make it through this hour, right? But, but no one knows the exact day that Jesus is going to return. Jesus himself said he didn't know the hour of the day, right? And so if you ever find someone that's like, hey, here's the hour and here's the time, I, I would back away from that, you know, and just be like, okay, that's fine. Let's, you, you, you enjoy that. Jesus didn't know. What makes you think you will know, right? And, and we will just we're, just, we're waiting. We're anticipating. But the Bible does warn us to be ready and be prepared, because we don't know when he's going to return. If, if you're here today and you're casual about your approach of Jesus, the Bible would warn you to not harden your heart, but to respond to him. He could return to any moment. This is the last hour, this is the last days. We don't know exactly when he's coming back, but we sure don't want to be caught unready. We don't want to not be ready. And so I would just encourage you, if you have a casual approach, Nowhere in the Bible is is that encouraged or affirmed. This is the last hours. And, And John says we know that because we've heard the Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have come. So we've got one is a singular Antichrist that John is speaking of, a future person of influence and power that is in strong opposition to God. And he talked about it in 2 Thessalonians and First and Second John and Revelation, right? This, this singular figure that will rise up and has influence and power and, and, and is deceptive and in opposition to the way of Jesus. Now, now who is that Antichrist? John, John didn't know. John, John didn't live during that time. We don't know. Could the Antichrist be alive today? Perhaps, but we don't know. As far as I know, every president of the United States has been the Antichrist, according to somebody, right? I've, I've read Elon Musk as the Antichrist. Right? You, you really see any person that rises to like kind of global power and you're like, someone's gonna claim that person to be the Antichrist. right? So, so the point is, we don't know, but we know that Jesus is returning. We don't know when. We know it's the last hours and we know there is coming an Antichrist, a person who will stand in opposition to Jesus And that is a sign that the end is nearing. But what we can focus on today, what John encouraged the church to focus on, are the many antichrists who have already come. The word antichrist just means opposed to Jesus. Right? It's just someone that that is opposed to, to the way of Jesus. And many have come proclaiming a false message. Many have already come and are here today in our lives proclaiming a false message. We don't need to be deceived by false teachers. We don't need to be surprised or caught off guard. They've been talking about that for for the whole Bible. False prophets, false teachers, right? Those who come in to deceive, right? So we don't need to be surprised, but we need to know how to discern someone who is an antichrist, who is someone who is opposite of Jesus. We need to know how to to discern what is true and what is not true. And so we've got to be on guard. The purpose of the Antichrist, according to verse 26, is to deceive. The purpose of an Antichrist is to deceive, to distract us from what is true, right? To, To have us look over here when the real truth is over here. And what's crazy is I don't even think every Antichrist knows that that is their agenda. They're being used by Satan to promote something that they actually believe to be true, but it's not true. And, and so really the, the, the puppet master behind that, Satan, is using them to promote a message that is, that is not true, to, to preach a message that is close to the real thing, but, but not necessarily the real thing. And their aim is to deceive, to lead us away from Jesus. My guess is most of us have listened to someone, have encountered someone, have trusted someone, that when the times and days and years start to play out, you kind of go, oh, wow. That, that, was not, that was not the person I thought. Right? There's many of those around us. There's many antichrists, and we need to we need to be on guard. We need to know how to discern. Their purpose is to deceive. So how will we identify them? First thing John says, right, in verse 19, these antichrists went out from us. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Right? The, the Christian church started as, as one church, Right? But then some differences arise and now you have a, a second kind of branch and some more differences arise and you have another branch and you have another branch, you have another branch, right? And I'm not saying that every branch, you know, like I'm not saying we're in the, you know, we're the right way or whatever, like I think there's a lot of different denominations and, and differences that still follow Jesus. But, but I also think that there are many that, that ultimately when it came down to will you trust and submit, to the word of God, held tightly to their traditions and preferences, and instead began a a false direction, right? Where where there's a lot of it that overlaps. Hey, Jesus, yes, we love Jesus. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Yes, absolutely. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, absolutely. Do you believe that you're saved by faith alone? Yes, absolutely. But then you also have to do this, right? So there's all this overlap But then there's this slight variation that it can start to sound like, okay, this is the truth, but we have to start to be able to hold it up against the the true source and measure, is it fully true? Right, 90% true is not true. It's 90% true, but that 10% will jack you up. It'll lead us astray. It'll take us off course. And so he says, man, you start to see some people that are antichrist. christ that, that when it comes down and it's time to submit to the word of God, right? It's time to stand behind his church. They're like, no, 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 no. We got to do our own thing. We, and, and so you start to see that they'll step outside of the shepherding, the overarching leadership of the church, the protection that comes with the greater church. And they'll start their own. That's how we have multiple different sects and variations and branches of faith, is the time came where they drew a line and said, nope, we're going this way. You can go that way. And so you start to see these antichrists separating from the church. But mostly, John tells us in verse 22 and 23, is that an antichrist refuses to to confess and submit to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, ultimately, right? He says in verse 22 and 23, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also, So ultimately, an antichrist is not going to submit to and surrender to the message of and lordship of Jesus. Now, I I say both of those because what what fascinates me in this, right, maybe I can find it off the the quick. Okay. Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes up to, the, um, to Capernaum on the Sabbath. He's teaching. And immediately there was a, in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right. so you have the demons who, who know the truth. They don't deny the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? So you're looking at this and you're going, okay, the antichrists are the ones who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that the Son is of the Father. Right. Well, the demons, they didn't deny that. We heard it from the mouth in Mark 1. They know Jesus is the Christ. They don't, they don't denounce the, the truth of who Jesus is, but they refuse to submit their lives to the truth of who Jesus is. Does that make sense? It's one thing to say, okay, here's the message. Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that. Well, if, if we believe true faith that he is the Messiah, then we will submit our lives to him in his way. We surrender our lives to him as Lord. But if we don't, don't submit our lives to him, we may cognitively believe that, but we do not trust him. That's where the differences are with the demons. Factually, they knew who Jesus was but they stood in opposition to him. They did not want to submit their lives to Jesus. And so we'll start to see antichrists who they, they either do not believe the message of Jesus or even if they do, they refuse to submit their lives to it. They refuse to follow Jesus as the Christ, to believe and trust him. And so you start looking at people with messages and you say like, okay, are they speaking truth and do their lives follow the truth? Not are they perfect, right? But when they mess up, are they willing to, again, submit their lives to Jesus, to own their sin, to confess and to repent? You're looking for those fruit of the Spirit. Or do you see someone that's like, Jesus is Lord, and yet, man, they are dead set in their ways, and they're unwilling to to submit their ways in humility to Jesus. They're confronted, right, of sin, and they just dig their heels in more, and they're unwilling to confess that sin. They're unwilling to own that sin. I mean, we could just start rattling off the church leaders, right? That that have fallen from grace or whatever, who've dug their heels in and said, no, 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 my way is okay. Don't confront me, right? And so we've got to look for these people who denounce the message of Jesus, who preach a false gospel, or even those who may verbally affirm it but their lives display that they have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. They are not surrendered to him. Again, you're not gonna find a perfect leader. You're not gonna find a perfect pastor. You're not gonna find a perfect church anywhere ever. But do you find leaders that will confess and repent and correct? Or do you find leaders that hold on tightly to their way Dig their heels into what they say, and their lives don't match up with the truth that they're verbally proclaiming. We've got to look for those people who deny Jesus, who deny Jesus as the Christ, either verbally or with their lives. Is that, is that making sense? Trying to OK. So, so John tells us, we identify the Antichrist. Their purpose is to, is to deceive. We look for someone who will disunify from the church, will not submit themselves to the authority of, of elders, of leaders, of those that God has entrusted to us. And we look for people who deny the lordship of Jesus, either verbally or with their lives. And those are not leaders that we want to trust and to follow to lead us to Jesus. They're leading us somewhere else. Th- th- those are not people who are, who are lead- they're leading us to their way, to their agenda. And so these are antichrists. And don't, when you hear the word, we don't have to just think of this big, bad f- creature that's coming one day in, in, in the tribulation. Right? We, who are those who are leading us opposed of Jesus, opposite of Jesus, away from Jesus? Those false teachers in our lives. If we truly want fellowship with Jesus, we have to be on guard for that. We have to learn how to discern that truth because they will trick us up. They will deceive us and lead us astray. Remember the goal that John's leading us towards. Jesus, fellowship with God. So we have to know truth. Some of the the false messages out there that, that you'll hear, right? Salvation by works. Yes, you've got to trust Jesus, but you also have to go to confession. Yes, you have to trust Jesus, but you also have to be baptized. Yes, you have to trust Jesus, but you also have to do good works. And the Bible will tell you that the the fruit is evidence of salvation, not a necessity for salvation. We're saved by faith. How do we know we have faith? Does our life demonstrate it? It's not that our life demonstrating it earns it, it's the result of true faith. Right, and so I see, um, I just see some challenges. Some, look, the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, right? Great people, but they're gonna preach a message of fa- faith in Jesus plus good works. And, and that's not, it's not, tr- it's not biblical. Right, Jehovah's Witness, they, they, they deny the deity of Jesus. Right, there's a lot of overlap, but they deny that Jesus is actually God. Right, the prosperity gospel. Right, and well, no, your life may be incredibly difficult. You may not have money, you may be sick, you may suffer, the promise of Jesus is that you can have joy in Christ through those things, not that you won't have those things, right? And so we have to put away those false gospels. Um, Austin's favorite gospel, individual tolerance. Hey man, you do your thing, let me do my thing, everybody's good. Well, that's, that, that doesn't even add up. Because the second I say, well, here's where I land, you tell me I'm wrong for having an opinion, which is actually you having an opinion against what I believe. So it's actually not tolerant, right? And so it's a false gospel that oh, we can just, everybody can be tolerant. No, there is a way that is true. What is truth? Right, and so we have, to, we have to look out for that. Um, universalism, the belief that everybody will be saved eventually. Well, what's the point of Jesus then? Why would I ever repent? If at some point he's just going to come on and be like, all right, I'll bring you in anyways, right? No, 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 that doesn't set Jesus as Lord. That sets me as having my, I'm Lord in that case. Right, and so we've got to look, and we don't have to, let me be clear, we don't have to like argue or fight with these people. We can be friends with these people. We can have a meal together, but we have to hold tightly to what is true. We can't compromise and capitulate and be like, oh, yeah, that's good too, and this is good too. It'll all work out. It's close enough. No, it's not. It's not close enough. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what the Bible tells us. Everybody is invited into that. Every single person. It is the most inclusive and welcoming invitation of any faith there is. Everyone is invited. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to have to like perform some probationary period. right? You, you, just, you just trust him. You surrender to him. We're surrendering our lives to something. Something is, is controlling us and leading us and telling us this is how to live. We are all surrendering in faith to something. Jesus invites you to surrender in faith to him. And that's the way of life. An antichrist will preach some other message, some other blend of that. And we have to know, okay, what does is, what is the Bible tell me? What is the, I'm gonna hold tight to that. What does this tell me? So what do we do? Look, there's gonna be false messages around you. If you have a access to the internet, which pretty certain we all fit in that category now, even if you don't want it, like it's embedded in your bloodstream. If you didn't know, they already did that. Um, That's not true, that's not real. If you have access to the internet, you have access to messages on top of messages on top of messages on top of messages of what is true and what is the way to do life. Like it's it's just there. You don't have to go look for it. You don't have to study for it. Somebody somewhere is preaching to you all the time. All the time. So, so what is our responsibility now? How do we keep focus, right? Number one, uh, remain in a Jesus-centered, Bible-believing church, willing to repent when you get off course. Right, we see that with the, the Antichrist. They, they, they left the church, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, right? Someone was like, I'm having a crisis of faith. And I'm like, okay, well, crisis here. Right, don't don't hit this point of crisis and be like, I'm having a crisis, so let me leave what I've known for the last 20 years to go figure out a crisis on my own. Right, we've seen enough National Geographic, man. It's the the little wildebeest that wanders off on its own. The lines are like, game over, done. You put them in a pack, man, and you're safe. It's okay, it's okay. Okay, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have questions and doubts and struggles. I had the biggest crisis of my faith in 2019, like six months after we start a church. I'm like, what? This isn't how it's supposed to work. Supposed to have all this stuff before I become a pastor, not as I'm a pastor. That's silly. And God was like, no, no, no. Just, just don't quit. Just keep. Just stay the course because He will get us to the other side. That's the promise of Scripture. Listen, you're going to have a crisis. You're going to have times where your faith, man, it takes everything in you to continue to trust Jesus. You're gonna have those times, you probably already are, especially in a city like this, right? Or a city like LA, where 9.98 of the people around you do not believe or maybe even support what you believe. That is increasingly prevalent And you're gonna have low points and you're gonna have struggles and you may have a crisis of faith and what I'm telling you is okay, have your crisis in the church. If you wanna come to the conclusion that it's not true, that's fine, not really, but that's your own call. Do it in the church. Struggle among people who love you. Assume that it's true until it's proven otherwise right? We've got to stay in Christian community. We've got to stay under the leadership of people who will hold tightly to this. I'm looking here. I think most of of y'all are are Austin lifers, right? Some of you maybe not. Some of you may, but most of you at some point will, nope. Most of you are going to stay here forever. A few of you will move away, We're flipping that narrative, right? We're flipping that narrative. But if you move away, say to Dallas or something, and you're looking for a new church, if you go there and this isn't what they're anchored to, get out. Because it's only a matter of time before they start preaching something that's of their own understanding and logic and wisdom, and that's dangerous. You've got, we've got to go somewhere where the church is anchored to this and they're like, I don't know, but Jesus, I'm gonna point, Jesus, let's look at Jesus. What did Jesus do, right? Like, we've got to point to Jesus and be anchored to his truth. and We've got to do that together. We have to do that together. That was the first thing that we see. So if you're like, all right, how do I, how do I stay the course? I mean, surround yourself by a Bible-believing Jesus-centered church and community, do whatever you have to do to get there. It's that important. It's only a matter of time before we'll, we'll stray off if we don't. If you have struggles and questions and crisis, do it here. You are welcome and safe here. Me and you can struggle together, but do it in the context of a church. The second thing John tells us is we have to learn to listen to the spirit we have been anointed with. He tells us in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Go down to verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as it as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We have to learn how to abide in the spirit of God that is in us. This, for me, I think is the biggest miss I've had throughout my, my Christian life thus far. It is I just don't feel like people... I think people try to teach me, maybe. I don't think people... Actually, helped cast a vision to expect that the Spirit of God is actually in me and can speak to me and can do far more abundantly than I can ever think or imagine through me. I, I just, and so I just feel like I just was like, okay, and I, got, I hit this ceiling of everything I could do in my own strength. Like I could discipline myself to go to church and I could discipline myself to, to have time with God and I could discipline myself. Like I could control that, but then that's just where I stopped because I hadn't really learned or, or, or just experienced just communion in the spirit, me and God, right? And, and, and I just, and so that's part of my own journey and I hope to, hope to walk that with you, right? Like the spirit of the risen savior, according to Romans, indwells anyone who by faith has trusted Jesus. Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God at work in you. Like there's a greatness at work in us that we can't measure ever. And I, and I just don't think we've learned to listen to the Spirit and to abide in Him. Right? The Antichrist is speaking lies, messages that, that may have partial truth but aren't full truth. The Spirit of God is truth. Anything the Spirit says to us is true. true. It is of God, and we. If if you if you're sitting there, you're like, I think God told me this, all right? Okay, let's go back here. Does it match up, right? I think God told me to have 14 wives. Okay, let's let's fact check that, right? Let's check it here. Oh, that's not what God says. He probably didn't tell you that. You know, I think God told me. To, to share my faith with my coworker, but man that's been a hostile relationship okay Second Corinthians 5 oh I'm an ambassador making God's appeal ah, lines up it's probably God and we have to learn how to listen to the spirit John 16 13 says the Holy Spirit is in us to lead us into all truth right? to, to lead us into truth And then John says here that because the spirit of truth is in us, we actually don't need anyone else to teach us. right? We've got the creator of all things, including knowledge, able to speak directly to us. We have everything we need for life and godliness by the spirit of God in us. Now it's ironic, right, because John is at the same time simultaneously teaching them and instructing them. And so we have this dual tension, right? By the Spirit of God in us who lacks nothing, we don't need anything because we have the Spirit of God in us, yet we're still in flawed human bodies with flawed human minds among flawed human people. And so in fact, we do need one another and we do need teaching and we do need help, right? Second, first, Genesis chapter two, it is not good that man should be alone. We're created for community, and yet we need to not sell the spirit of God short inside of us, right? I don't have to go somewhere and have some new message or some new Christian living book in order to help. I can just sit down with the word of God and the spirit of God and have everything that I need. But I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like I need some help to do that. And so we need help as well. I, I think one of the biggest problems, and this is what I started with, is our low view and expectation of God. Right? When you come to church to worship, do you expect to hear the voice of God? Do you expect to encounter the presence of the Spirit in you? Do you expect or expect to, to be blown away with all, you know, the abundance, the immeasurable more that he can do in you? When you go to work, do you expect for the Spirit of God to speak to you and to lead you and to guide you? When you have decisions to make, do you expect for the Spirit of God to to give you wisdom? When you have conflict with one another, do you expect the Spirit of God to give you patience and peace and love and humility? I, I just think that our expectations are as high as we can strength on our own. I think that's our expectations of God. It is as high as we've learned how to manage and muster on our own, and God's like, come on, no. The, blow the roof off of this thing. There's so much more. We just, our expectations, we just want to play in the mud pies. Right, and God's like, there's a freaking holiday at the sea. Nah, I'm just going to hang in this puddle. I'm just urging you, to, I don't even, even want you, I don't know what's beyond, I don't know. Let's just know there's something beyond that. And God wants to take us there, right? God wants you to come here and encounter him more than our finite brain. Like, imagine, what would that be like? Just do it. What would it be like to hear from God, to encounter God's presence right now? And then just say, okay, and whatever that is, that imagination, it's, it's far more abundant than that. Let's go. Let's journey. Let's, our expectations are way too low. Right, I I sit down to read my Bible and do I expect to hear God speak to me? Rarely. Right, I, I expect to do my thing and maybe feel good about it and check it off and move on. But do I expect the voice of God to speak to me? If we did, I'm convinced we would have a far greater hunger to spend time with him. I'm convinced the messages of TV or Netflix or or Instagram reels would, would sound far less appealing. But I'm just guessing that we don't expect much from it. And so we don't come in faith waiting to taste and see. But we have to learn how to do that. I think the biggest problems we have right now are time and distraction. We don't set aside time to be still and to wait and to listen. And we're distracted by so much noise. All right, Nate, can I borrow you for a second? You okay with that? So, come on up here. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna, to take this off. Sorry for any um podcast listeners. We're just going to do this here. So If if I'm trying to have a conversation with someone and hear Nate talk to me, A, I've got so much noise around me that literally it is just drowning out the ability to hear others, much less to to hear the Spirit of God that requires faith. But then not only that, I'm like, hey, let's talk. Great, I gotta come over here. (laughs) Distraction, reels, right? You know, I gotta come over here. I gotta do some work, right? Emails, ding. You know, I gotta come over here and I gotta talk to people and I gotta do all this, and not that these things are bad, but, but we don't, let's be honest here together. You know, you can nod or not. it's okay, I know. We, we just don't set aside time. We, we have very little time that we just set aside everything and we turn off the noise. Look, you can turn off all the noise. How many of you are gonna be like, how do you turn off the noise here? Anybody else? Good gracious. Man, my mind is just going. Okay, that's fine. Don't try to fight it. Accept it. It'll take time and eventually, right, you're going to settle down and you're going to steal your mind and then I genuinely believe if we will stop and slow down and sit and face God and quit talking for the love of Jesus, quit talking all the time to God and just let him talk, I think we're going to hear from the Spirit of God. That's what he tells us. Abide in him. Remain in him. I think it's the single greatest thing you and I can do to see our faith grow exponentially. Is trust that there is no greater thing that we can do than to sit and abide. You can stand, you can lay, whatever you have to sit, right? But stop. and Be still and turn off the noise. And face God and just say, okay, I want to hear from you. What do you got? And when that awkward silence hits, like it just kind of did, but it's still awkward when it's just us a lot of times, we just press on. Nope. We have to learn how to hear Spirit, we have to detox our brains from all the noise and all the nonsense. And y'all, we know it, we know it. The question is, will we do it? That's really, we know that. Like, this is not something I've got to convince you of, because you know it as much as I do. The question is, will I do it? Will I actually believe there's nothing as important? That I'll be a better husband and father and employee and person and human being if I, if I start with that, if I seek first the kingdom of God? We've got to abide in the Spirit, y'all. We have to, we have to learn that. This is where discipleship groups are massive because we can actually help one another. We can ask people about that. How did that go? You set this goal, how'd you do? We've gotta have some people in our lives walking that out with us, okay? So we remain in a in a Christian community, right? With with Jesus as the center, with the Bible as our authority. We discipline and train and learn to listen, to abide to the spirit of truth in us. And then we go back always to this. Because sometimes I hear the spirit and I'm like, I don't know, right? We go back to what is here, what has been given to us. That's where John ends in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let this gospel message that you heard from the beginning that has been shared from Genesis to today and so on, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. We go back to this, and this Bible, this this book of 66 books is one message. And in each part of the Bible, we can find ourselves in that story and in that message, and we can hear and learn what God is telling us through it. That, That God created everything for us to be in perfect fellowship with him, right? What changed after Adam and Eve sinned? They still had each other, they still had food, they still had you know sex if they wanted it, they still had pleasure, they said had all those things. What changed is they were no longer walking in the presence of God. That's the difference between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Right? So the fullness of life is not necessarily these things, they were all still there. It's that we no longer were in the presence of God. That's what we were created for, is to, to walk with God and to then enjoy everything through that lens. The presence of God is what gives everything else its beauty and abundance. Well, What what happened is that Adam and Eve, and, and you and me, we all know this, right? At some point, we were like, hey God, this is what you say, but I think this looks good, and that apple, that fruit, whatever it is, it looks enticing, I shall eat it, boom. That rejection from the way of God, of trusting that God and his way is true. That's what you see in Genesis 3. You see it in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Ruth and Judges and Joshua and throughout the whole Old Testament, right? We see this this tug of war where where man is choosing their own way and they're walking away from God, but God is pursuing them in love. He's pulling them back and they're like, no, no, we're going to do our own thing. He's pulling them back and God's continuing to pursue until Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus comes to finally put an end to the running and to reconcile mankind back into a relationship with God. And so Jesus lives the perfect standard that you and I were supposed to live. You were supposed to live a perfect life before God. That was our expectation, and we all dropped the ball. And so Jesus comes in to do that for us. That's what the the Old Testament is pointing towards, is Jesus, who lives that standard for us. But then something has to happen with our record of sin. We've talked about this. My sheet, my rap sheet is long against God, and so is yours. Something has to happen with that. And so Jesus goes to the cross, Colossians 1, and it says that he nails our record of debt onto the cross with him. Right? He, he takes that record and he says, he says I'll, I'll settle it, I'll take care of it. And he suffers the punishment we deserve. And then Jesus rises from the dead in order to offer us eternal life with him for all of eternity. We can know God and grow in this fullness of life, this abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. We can know it. And when we trust him, we are united to him. And then we see from Acts through Revelation, right? It's now how do we live in response to what Jesus has come to fix what we broke, to get us back to the restoration with God? Now how do we live towards that end? That's the message that we go back to And then we look in here and we say, okay, God, what are you telling us in 1 John chapter two? Man, God, you're telling us that fellowship with you, man, that sounds a lot like Genesis one and two, is the goal. But obviously something's off. Sounds a whole lot like Genesis three and on. But that Jesus came, he's the light of the world and he came to bring us, to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now you're telling me that to grow in that fellowship I need to keep my eyes on what is true and to not be deceived by false messages. We go back to the message, the hope of the gospel, to his word, this is the truth. And that's how we are able to keep our eyes on what is true and not be deceived by the false messages flying around us. We remain in Christian community we learn to abide in the spirit to hear from him and we go back to his original message and we look to him and he tells us what is true not your feelings not your experiences not your history not the popular message not politics not global whatever he tells us what is true he tells us how to approach all those things That's how we stay the course. That's how we're going to grow in that fellowship with him. It really comes down to, are we going to obey him and follow him? Will we trust him and follow his way? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.